It's Thierry Lurie! He scored! He scored for Arsenal in the bottom half! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsenal Editor Podcast. It's um it's a sad day, I have to say. Um we we only beat Fulham. Um we only got three points and um it's certainly no cause for celebration, but here to to mourn with us and to go through painstakingly uh, a sad time to be where are we? Let me just check. Is it top or it's yes, yes it is top of the league. Uh, of course, nothing to celebrate, lots to be sad about um, until the end of the season where we really know where everything is. And here to share my sadness is is Connor. Connor, how are you, mate? Yeah, unfortunately, not great. I hate seeing and celebrating yeah. Arsenal at the top of the table. I love gest- gesticulating. I'm not allowed to gesticulate mm. anymore. Can't wave my hands about and celebrate a victory. So, unfortunately, I'm very down in the dumps mm. until the end of the season. So, you know, I could be better. Did you see? Did, did you see they like? I think was we 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 scored a lot like a one like a nearly last minute winner um, to to put us back at the top of the league. And did you, I don't know if you noticed, but in the stands they um they started doing this thing where they just like they jumped up and started shouting like in, and they were smiling and hugging. Um, what do you call that? Sorry, mental. I'm, I must be I must be foreign. I don't really know no. what that is. No, no, you know, I appreciate you're South African, aren't you? You're you're, you're from uh, you're from South Africa, so uh, no. But it seems to be, and again, I I I must be, I might be doing this incorrectly. I don't know, but they, I think, I think, was it cele- celebrating? Uh, no, celebrating. Oh, I think you sorry, yeah, it. that's a yeah. good point. I think I've heard of that yeah. sometimes, but I only thought that mm. was a, a once a season kind of thing when it was at the end and you celebrated <laughs> for a brief moments before. Yes, you got back to it. No, that's a good idea. No, but but, but there are certain teams that are allowed to. Um, I think there's. That's, let me just check. Yeah, no, I'm just checking the table. There's Oh, yeah, there's 19 other teams that are allowed to do it. Um, it's only one. Oh, it's just us, um, and it's just the people at the top of the league yeah, that no, aren't allowed to do it. Yeah, that's oh, okay. it, yeah. No, it, it is interesting, though. It's, it's, <laughs> fun, like, it ha- it, it's, it's starting to creep in. Like um, It happened when Villa uh, celebrated staying up. It happened when, when Everton celebrated staying up. It happened when... Um, uh, I, don't know, I can't really think of any others to be honest but I just well last time was Arsenal and Wolves but it's like any celebration in football whether it's a win uh, to keep something going I mean there's so much more context but it's creeping into the game where you've got typically white old guys on radio that they're trying to get clicks for just end up going all the way in go you can't set it's like just let him enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? I just what's your take on just that whole situation or where it's come from? It seems to be quite a new thing. Yeah, I mean you're exactly right. It's just a time for players to enjoy their victory, a hard-fought victory, and I have a feeling that perhaps it's just cynical elitism in that sense. Where this is an elite sport, you mustn't celebrate unless you do everything correctly and get all the points possible. Mm. And if you don't do that, then there's nothing to celebrate. And as you say, that leaves out context. That leaves out that. Gabriel had made the mistake and then got the game-winning goal that we came back from a goal down, that it was with our supporters mm. and with our players and families within that stadium as well. So I think having this kind of almost kind of approach where we can't celebrate anything takes away from the joy of football, but also pertains to an era where this kind of emotion was mm. 
maybe just frowned upon or maybe was just not allowed in order to achieve the end goal, but without celebrating the small victories on the way, what's the point? Honestly, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, it. I think it's um, certainly incredibly lazy journalism. It certainly doesn't give any context to anything. I think it, it's almost as if they've just checked in at the end of the game, uh, not looked at who scored, when they scored, uh, the previous season, what, uh, where Arsenal finished in the last however long. The like, I think, like historically, we might have beaten somebody in the Wenger or the Emery era in the last minute. And it wouldn't have been anywhere near as raw as that because towards the end of the Wenger era, we knew that there was stagnation within the club. And with the Emery era, we knew it was a bit of a fluke. Like, remember that 22-game unbeaten run we went off? Nobody was confident. We didn't deserve that unbeaten run. The underlying metrics, the poor defensive performances, the get-out-of-jail-free cards with the Bamiyang and everything, it just, there was there was nothing joyous. That's not true at all. Obviously, it was very fun. We did celebrate, but... It was like, oh, yeah, got away with one. Rather, whereas this time, it's everybody else in the league seems to be stuttering. Um, we've got an opportunity to go top of the league. It's a sunny day. Mm-hmm. We only came back once from 1-0 down last season. That was against Wolves. Um, and it's a question that still was over the squad because it happened a lot last season. Could we do it? We hadn't come back from 1-0 down when scoring in the second... When then the opposite opponent scores in the second half first... Since 2013, mm-hmm. I heard from Ars Blog. So, like, the the celebration came from, obviously, the actual win itself, but the context of what we've suffered through before and how there's a clear narrative of change within the club. And on a Saturday night in London in the sun, when there was, quite frankly, some absolutely sensational put football across the park, mm-hmm. um, like, when we used to go one nil down before, it never felt like we were knocking the door down. Whereas it felt like we were knocking the door down, I think, pretty much from, from the first minute yesterday, um, something we, we haven't done in a long time, you know, 72% possession throughout the game. And it just, like, he even said to my friend when I was watching that, I was like, this just feels um, different. I went all down. I was like, this is so much better than being, it sounds so stupid, but being 1-0 down compared to last season or two seasons ago where it was like, that's it. You, you're just watching terrible football. You're kind of have, hoping for a break. Whereas we are, we're not, we're not hoping the small margins go for you. You know, we're, we're really battering the door down, and um, that coming through and being on a forward trajectory as a club as well, being top of the league, it, it's just knowing that your club's in a happy place. It's I, I, I don't know how nobody within that chain of people haven't haven't identified that. Exactly right, and when we look at something like this, there's always. A benefit that can come from abstracting out and taking a bird's eye view of it so there's always a benefit where you can say okay this was a win but it was a newly promoted side this is only the fourth game of the season and that, that mm. can be beneficial and be good to to take stock and to say that okay this is actually the reality of it and where we are but also there's a danger of abstracting too much because when you just abstract and abstract and get further out from, from the actual context and feel of the game. You're just getting into, okay, people are kicking a ball around and then we're going to get three points for this team because they scored more goals than the other. So I think football yeah. requires context and football requires emotion and passion. And when you see the club compared to, as you say, last season where we lost our first three games, we're now four games unbeaten. There's a feeling of about the club that we are in a better place. And, and you exactly, you nailed it when you said that being 1-0 down this season feels a lot better than last season. Uh, I was unfortunately unable to watch the game 
uh, live. But when I was looking and mm. following the live score when I could, I saw we were 1-0 down, but I wasn't disheartened or uh, almost I wasn't worried that there wasn't going to be some form of fight back and maybe we just get unlucky, we don't get the three points. But I knew there would be at least something where if we took our chances, we'd get back into it. And I don't think I had that in the last season. I even thought that on the bench, we've got now we've got Vieira, we've got Smith-Rowe, we've got Enketia, who mm. seems to be a new player with his new number 14, I think. And is, when he comes back on, I think he's he seems like he feels bigger, he looks bigger, he looks stronger, looks more hungry. And I think I just am filled with a lot more confidence than last season. I think that goes a long way and goes a long way to what Arteta was talking about with re-establishing the faith that we have in the squad and re-establishing almost a connection between the players and the fans where I think that's just transpiring onto the pitch and you see it in the post-match interviews of the players and especially of Martin Odegaard this week where he said, you know, this one is for you fans, you got us through it in those difficult moments and I think that's what we're there to play, what we're there to do and that's how we're going to play our role and I don't think that was there last season. So you can say, okay, we've had very nice run of fixtures which we haven't had for many years and this is now the second, only the second time we've come back against someone, you know, when the opposition scored the first and the second half since 2013, as you say, or the first time, I should say. And I think yeah. that's something to celebrate. And if you want to go nuts about that, then great. It's not going to distract you from the mission, but it's going to allow you to get through the present. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And um, it's 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 something that, that there's a feel-good factor at the club. That And uh, pretty much, I said, I said this on the other day, but, you know, um, pretty much since I... I've been an age whereby I can go to football really. And, you know, I, the Emirates has been that time period. I think my first Emirates game was, 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 I think a friendly over the summer when it opened. Right. And, and whilst that was kind of exciting, um, that was the, the money issues we had. And that was the Man City's and the Chelsea's over the next 10, 20 years coming into play and taking our position. And we're having to, I mean, in the last couple of years, like sort of reevaluate the position of the club and, it's the first time there's been real optimism and real sincerity behind like an atmosphere, a club at the club. Um, you know, it's rightly had a, a reputation for having a, being a really som- not somber, but flat atmosphere at the Emirates. Um, it's certainly the acoustics within it are set up for that. And when you've got a, a disappointed fan base and a, a you know, a, a frustrated fan base, that's the kind of atmosphere that can breed. And, and naturally that's the reputation it gets. And, I think there's a discontent within some of the media outlets that that's changing. Like the atmosphere is, is electric and we need people going to to games at the moment, going to Fulham at home. And, you know, when we're quite comfortable mm-hmm. playing really well, saying that it's like, you know, two hours before kickoff, it's like a North London derby in all the pubs. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, and by the time you get to the game, it's it's raucous. People are in the, getting the stadium early. There's... The um, you know, people who are growing in in, in status and in Ashburn Army who are really driving like an atmosphere in there. Mm. And we got both ends of the ground that seem to be end up like just raucous from half an hour before kickoff. As a yeah, it's it's a feel good atmosphere in the club that you know I think I think we've needed for for a very long time. But um, yeah, a really exciting game all round. I mean, let, let, let's go through the game. I mean, what what did you think of the first half? I mean, chances few few and far between, but certainly a lot of pressure. Um, we seem to be getting in behind a lot or like sort of getting to the byline. But um, other than the Saka chance from memory, not 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 too much to jump into, but certainly a feel-good dominance to the game that we haven't had in a long time. 
Yep, I think exact, exactly right. There was a feel-good factor to it. There was an air of this, something's going to happen at some point. And we had the Martinelli corner that hit the crossbar. And then Saka's oh, chance yeah. was brilliantly saved by, by a former Arsenal player who I'm sure knows him very, very well, Bernd Leno. And I mm-hmm. think from there, it was just that there was something going to happen. We're moving it around 70% possession. We, we had the control of the game. And I always felt that from what I gathered, having, having watched the game sort of after it was played, was that mm. we were dominating, there was something. And if anyone was going to capitalize and score on Arsenal, it was going to be from a mistake of ours, which eventually it was. But a, a friend of mine, yeah. James Blakeney, very much summed it up well when he described Gabriel and Saliba in the sense that they are mentality monsters, to quote him. And their mentality is to get back to it, to play the next ball, even after making mistakes, you know, a week after each other and recovering well to then help the team to get the points that recovered. I think that's a good way to sum up the game. And I think it's a good way to, to sum up the first half is that it is a stubborn defense. You know, Fulham defended very, very well, well drilled. But then it was that mentality to say that, OK, the chances will come. We just have to work for it. And then the Saka chance was, you know, on another day that goes in, on another day it goes wide. This time it was just saved. And I think having to work past that in the past, in the last season, and now being okay with having that patience is something that I don't think we've had for a long time. And I think the first half was a good demonstration of that patience, that it will come, we just need to work for it. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and going back to that mentality thing as well, it's that, that, that was an absolute... This is a Fulham side that have come into a hugely successful uh, Premier League start to the season. I mean, it drew at home to... Um, to to, uh, well, to Liverpool, they just scored three goals at uh, Brentford, one in the last minute, um, having beaten three two. A place where they put four past Man United, who also failed to score with Ronaldo on the pitch. So, like this is a very good Fulham side, and uh, I think they to be able to pin them back and for really is credit to our mentality. And I th- as I said on the last couple of podcasts, I think we're being defended against differently because of the threat that we have up top in. Jesus, Martinelli and Saka and um, it's people are not putting as many people forward but they have someone like Mitrovic right and I've got I was going to have this down to talk about later in the game but it seems to talk about mentality like this was a spicy game mm-hmm. like Mitrovic is a hell of a player and he's get his body around and he was a handful and um, with someone like Saliba and Gabriel putting up a fight like these are games we would not be winning before like they were a physical side and we were certainly up to it and again not something I've seen in a really long time for, for Arsenal. We've we've had a soft underbelly, uh, which I think is a little bit of an overplayed narrative, but I think that's more of a mental thing than a real physical physicality, uh, if that makes sense. Um, there's a raw toughness that that seems to be inbred within the culture. And, um, uh, you know, I think Gabriel Jesus and Saliba are certainly people that are coming in and added to that for sure. But we saw it on the documentary over the past season. It's something that... He was really trying to install. Um, you remember, like the whole co- the whole speech about people coming to training, and only four people were actually training really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there was there was a, there's, a, there's a there's a fight about this that he really wants, and I think Arteta's animation throughout the uh, last season and, and this season on the touchline, I think even in behind closed doors, is is something that's continuing continuously, sort of trying to build that. So. Um, but you're right. It, it was always going to come from our mistake. And um, where, where, where do you, in the line of, you know, I guess that that mistake that Gabriel made, where, where do you find the faults within that? Or is it as simple as 
is just had a bit of a mare in that one moment or is there a stru- kind of a, everything that leads up to it that you feel added to it? Yeah, I think Saka's pass was unkind to that kind of situation. <laughs> I don't think you want to yeah. be receiving an aerial ball with Mitrovic bearing down on you when it's lofted. It's not even a sort of a diagonally and straight or flat ball. It's a lofted one, so it's taking ages to come down. You're watching it. You know the striker's there. Your first touch is okay, but it's not absolutely ideal. And then Gabriel moves it, so it takes another second to move it. And then I think he just misses the next toe poke or touch or whatever it was, and that's where Mitrovic comes in. Gabriel yeah. can't hold him off. You know, Mitrovic is very strong, also can move his body around. And unfortunately, the body position wasn't just right. Mitrovic nicks it off him, slips it in the right place, and, and puts it in. So if that was me, and I think Saka would know that, is the pass wasn't very wasn't cogent to a, a good playing out of the back. I think Saka would have mm. preferred to have played it very uh, very flat along the ground, but didn't, and then Gabriel had to take a touch on his left foot, and then it just didn't quite work. But I think, in general, yeah. even looking back on the game, it's a, a good lesson for us to to have in, to bear in mind, is that Gabriel, I don't think, will forget that kind of mistake for a long time, nor will, will Saliba his mm. against Crystal Palace, uh, or, or Leicester was it, sorry. And I think... Now we we as we as we saw we are vulnerable from the back and for playing out the back we're not complete to complete experts at it and the ball can get pinched off us so we need to look after it better and if that means not putting our centre backs in a dangerous situation then so be it so for me I think Saka's pass had to do with it I think Gabriel if he had another day for it having you know had that experience beforehand I think he would have just booted it yeah. or played it into an area. So I think it was a good lesson to have and we got away with it in that sense that it wasn't, you know, a, a draw at that point and then they got the winner through that mistake. But I think uh, the pass could have been better and then Gabriel could have made slightly different decisions had he had this experience beforehand. But I think all in all, this was going to happen at some point in the season and I'm glad it happened in this context and not a more dangerous one. It's interesting. We always forget just how young Gabriel is. Mm-hmm. Like, um, in, in, an, in an insanely young team and squad... Um, you forget that he's just obviously one of the older people within that, but he's still incredibly young. He's still, what, 23? Yeah, 23. Premier League centre-back and 20, 23, 24, something like that. And um, I, I I think it's a little bit unkind from, from Saka, but but certainly not crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he Gabriel really should have dealt with it. Um, from the flip side, if I'm a Fulham fan, I think that's absolutely brilliant play. It's actually... if you, Coming from behind to not foul Gabriel in that position, admittedly Gabriel's body position isn't good enough, obviously, but uh, I actually think it's a hell of a tackle. If Jesus does that, we're on the podcast saying his pressing, yep, yep. his physicality, his, all of that sort of stuff. And to finish it off as well, uh, you know, it's a hell of a finish. So, um, and it's it was comforting that, I don't know, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were dealing with that kind of error on a daily basis with mm-hmm. Louise, Xhaka, but Jack and all supported with quality around him. Uh, Mustafi, Ludai. These are things that are happening all the time. And we were always, Ludai Ceballos at times, you know, that we were always seconds away from a total implosion. And um, and it, again, it didn't feel like it for all the reasons we've just mentioned there before. So, um, and obviously coming off the back of actually just swandering that chance with Saka, um, I think obviously that was slightly disappointing, but we we were generating chances. So, um, but yeah, one of those things we went, went one nil down. Obviously, um, 
And and then I can't remember the exact timelines, but it felt like the substitution within Ketia, who, who looks like a revitalized guy. I mean, he's, I don't like, we kind of forget again that these kids are growing. Mm-hmm. In Ketia, Jesus, Saka, they look bigger. Mm-hmm. In Ketia, particularly, kind of going down the whole Bayern Munich model of just yeah, giving yeah. them a weight and just <laughs> like going, right, get yourself in the gym, get juiced and come back when you're, when you're strong. And uh, yeah, he, you know, I think um, there are comparisons to make between him, Vieira, Laponga, um, particularly looking at things like the, the Amazon documentary where Nketiah's mentality to, to, to really try his best to try and be on the pitch is unbelievable. And Arteta really seems to believe in him, whereas it doesn't necessarily seem to be at, at first glance. Uh, the same with someone like uh, Laconga, who looks a little bit down in the dumps at the moment. But um, what, what do you think the uh, Nketiah impact had? I think, you know, the... Jesus and, and Nketiah are similar in some facets, so they both can run the channels mm. and they can both move the defence around, they work for it, and they can press as well. And I think that was one of the reasons that Oteta kept him, uh, or kept uh, Nketiah, I should say, yeah. and wanted Jesus, wanted someone who could play a similar role to what Eddie was doing and that uh, Lacazette wasn't able mm. to, to do as much last season because that wasn't his game. He was to drop down and to give it wide, and that's how, it, how he played it, and it worked fantastically well in, in certain occasions. And I think Eddie now, what he's able to do is he's able to, to work the spaces in a different way to Jesus. And he's able to play a similar role yeah. in terms of pressing, run the channels, but he's also able to make slightly different attacking decisions and perhaps find himself in different places in the box and perhaps boast different connections with the players. He's been here at Arsenal all his life. He was here last season and is able to just have that now to know where, where different people are. And I think that gives a slightly different element to the Arsenal team than, than Jesus when he starts. And I think that buys into it as well. So I think while we know what, what Eddie can give us and he can give that running, can give that um, kind of movement, he is also able to to work the spaces in a slightly different way, make slightly different runs. And he's slightly uh, got a different pace to Jesus as well in terms of how he runs, in terms of how he dribbles as well. So I think it still gives players, uh, the opposition players, something to think about while still playing a very similar role. So I think Arteta is very much able to say that, okay, if Jesus is not working or he needs a rest, then I can put Nketiah on and he'll give me the same results in a slightly different way. Yeah, definitely. And it's it changes the formation a bit. I thought what was really interesting is that obviously we didn't have Zinchenko and um, uh, which, which I think was a bit of a blow at first. I think actually that mechanics of that side, having Elneny and um, Tierney, I guess, just in that semi-base, it just, there was certainly less fluidity and they're very, very good players in their own rights. And I think throughout the season, it'll be horses for courses, but home against Fulham feels to me like a Shinchenko and a party kind of uh, fluidity that we actually could have done with. But, you know, another another conversation for another time. But I thought it was really interesting taking off a left-back for a striker. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, being one down was a good decision um, but we, we've done it before in pre-season it actually allowed us to have Gabby and Jesus up top together um, I noticed that Saka and Martinelli swap sides as well I think Saka needed a different problem to solve I think he started to struggle down that right hand side um, and, and the goal comes from it so I'm just looking at this now running it through I mean you know Saka picks it up in the half space and this is the equaliser I mean Erdegaard we haven't even mentioned his name yet but what a game he has <laughs> When Saka feeds it through and he does that step over to make that space, Mm -hmm. yes, he gets lucky with the deflection. Oh my God, the speed and thought 
to be able to do that. And, you know, Arteta has highlighted that he needs to shoot more and make space to shoot more. And he had a few shots in this game, all of which were good decisions to make, I think. Um, I mean, I'm just looking now. That step over to make space is, is absolutely sumptuous. Yep, exactly right. And I think I remember when we came back against West Ham that that was also one of his most influential games. And I think this was a fantastic example of it. And he's coming off the back of scoring two against... Um, against Crystal Palace, it was Crystal Palace here, mm. and yeah, 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 and he, he um, or was it Bournemouth? No, he didn't score. It was Bournemouth. Bournemouth. So it was Bournemouth. So he came, yeah. came off the back of scoring two against Bournemouth and having a fantastic performance there. And I think that always helps your case as a captain, where you're putting in the means to the end, you're dictating, and you're able to create the space and to to create the goals. And I think there's a lot with Cesc Fabregas was able to do as well. He was able to influence the game and lead from the front as captain. I think it always helps you when you're able to do that, rather than being on the bench or rather than mm. being in a less more involved role. You can influence the game in, in different ways. I think that step over is exactly what, what you were saying, Toby, is what Arteta wants. He wants to create the space. He wants to shoot. Got lucky with the deflection, but I think that was going other you know, other corner anyways. I don't know if Leno would have been able to stop it. But I think yeah. exactly what he was meant to do. And Saka and Odegaard have a fantastic link-up play as well. And I think I, I, think I read on, on Sky Sports that Saka played nearly twice as many passes to Odegaard as he did to anyone else. So that kind of wow. link is what's required. And that's the kind of link that you're able to establish that bond between the players and that you look for that kind of player. So I think Odegaard is, is doing the exact right thing. I'm glad he's now got three goals in, in two games and has played an absolutely incredible role in interlacing the, the defense and the midfield to, to the attack. So I think he had a game to remember and hoping for, for more games like it. Definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, no, what, what, what a game he had. I think he's growing into the season quite heavily. And we know that um, he, he, he's had his inconsistencies before when he's not necessarily a player that is going to be complementing a game, Newcastle away from last season rings a bell. But um, now that we've got that structure in place, that kind of player is he, he is so helpful. And the young captain scoring goals, making things happen. That scoop over the top to Nketiah, like, oh my mm-hmm. God. Like, so, this is a confident guy. And I think he's one of those people that he's, he's really embracing the captain's R band. He reminds me of a of a hybrid between Ozil and, and Fabregas, mm-hmm. certainly in terms of style, at least. Got a long way to go, of course, to, to, to prove his legendary status <laughs> at all. But um, cer- certainly on the right trajectory at the beginning of his career here. So very, very happy indeed. Um there was a moment shortly afterwards where Mitrovic from a corner gets ahead and Ramsdale makes a save, mm-hmm. which is a very good save in itself. That happened a couple of times. But no, I've not really heard anyone talk about it, but there's a follow-up mm-hmm. shot by, I think it's Pereira. I can't quite tell. But it's right on the corner of six-yard six box. He's got Ramsdale to beat. And Ben White. He just jumped, two-footed in the air. Yeah. Like, I don't mean two-footed because it's not no, it's not towards the player at all. It's not like a foul. But he just puts his body on the line. And by the time it hits him, he's got his body completely square mm-hmm. in the middle of the air, just taking out as much space as possible and makes the block. And Ramsar doesn't even need to make a save. Mm-hmm. And that's at 1-1. Um, you know, I think we'll get on to this. But Ben White, for me, I think just had such good performance that was... Perhaps not really spoke. He's getting a bit more credit now than he he, he, he certainly deserves. But sorry, he's getting the credit he deserves now. That's a bit more so. But it's taken him a while, and I'm, I'm really happy for him. I think I think he had an excellent game. 
really excellent. Um, and he's really starting to show that he can do that role particularly well. Um, and it's going to be a really interesting conversation now that now that Tommy Yasu's back. But um, no, I, I thought just highlighting that moment would, would be really key. Um, and uh, then we get on to their goal. Uh, sorry, the final goal. So with the winner, mm-hmm. um, which again, I'm just looking back at now. And yeah, I am right. People are celebrating. Naughty, naughty. naughty, um, naughty. Not allowed to do that. <laughs> naughty, naughty. <laughs> and um, what, what, what do you think of the goal? I mean, it's quite scrappy. And I think somebody put it after the game as like just willing the ball over the line mm-hmm. from the collective, you know, collective waves of attack and ambition from the crowd almost. I don't know what you think of the goal. Yeah, it's manifesting it in a way. It sounds cliche to say, but it's definitely thinking and believing mm. that it's going to go in. And I don't think it was a foul on Leno. He was sandwiched by the two players, but I think it was there no. for the taking, and I, I don't think it was a foul on, on him at all. Uh, on fantasy football, Saliba got credited with the assist, which I'm a bit bit dubious about. I don't know if you can claim that. Right. It sort of hits him and then hits Leno, and then eventually goes into Gabby's no, part. Did. But I really... Yeah. I don't mind those scrappy goals. If that's going to get us three points, put them in. Really, really couldn't mind that uh, at all. I think... I would love to see more beautiful goals be, be put in the net, but I think if we're getting that three points and there's almost something that a scrappy last-minute winner is almost a bit more on the edge of your seat. Is it going to go in? Where's it going to fall? And you just have to be in the right place, right time. And what I love about that goal uh, is Saliba's celebration in the sense that he's going nuts about someone else's goal, which I think is quite powerful. And it's about yeah. the team collective and it's about, I don't care what my role is, whether I'm going to claim assist or not, but Gabby's put it in, and I'm going to go crazy for this last-minute winner. And it's fantastic to see, and I love when I see that in, in football, celebrating goals that, that aren't yours but are, are the teams. And it's the same with Zinchenko, uh, who was supposedly injured but ran as if he wasn't, <laughs> and uh, yeah. went to celebrate it with the team. And, you know, it's all this kind of thing where naughty-naughty, but they shouldn't be celebrating, but they were doing it very <laughs> well and, you know, slapping each other's heads. And I think there's a real commitment. You know, everyone goes and celebrates and they'll go to the corner apart from apart from Ramsdale. And I remember that this is an important facet because I remember during the Alexis Sanchez era when he would score a goal and no one would go celebrate with him because the changing room was yeah. divided on him. So it's great to see that everyone goes nuts. The players go and celebrate with the fans. We saw Chaka against... Uh, Leicester celebrating with the fans with his, with his usual heart celebration mm. and you know everyone sliding in everyone having a good time everyone believing that this three points was for Arsenal and not just for Gabby and not just for Erdegaard not just for this person it's three points for the fans for the club and towards our ultimate goal of uh, getting back into the Champions League and getting those hard-earned three points I think so and um, I, I think it was weird because Martinelli, I think, had a really excellent game. He was tearing apart um, people down the left-hand side. Uh, he was getting past that right back every time. It was he's he's becoming a sun player, um, really, really is. But but his, his his corners were really poor all game actually, um, and so it was quite this 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 corner was was really good and you know probably one of the last that we had. So it was certainly one that was that was welcome. And um, I think we saw a Leno game. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what we've had with Lemo summed up in a whole the whole time he was here but in a game his shot stopping this game was unreal um, the sack of chance Odegaard on a couple of occasions uh, Martinelli like there were some excellent uh, saves but on the corners he's, he's he's weak you know and he tries and comes for this he fails doesn't get anywhere near it it comes down and we, we score a winner and 
ultimately that's that's why we ended up upgrading to Ramsdale. And you know, he he isn't the best of his feet, but he's an unbelievable shot stopper, and I think he would be a great a great signing for Fulham. So. Uh, I think you could see that in this moment. Uh, obviously, Gabriel tucks it away and, and everyone goes nuts. And um, yeah, we win the game and obviously a bit of a squeaky bum time at the end. We've got Bobby on. Yeah, that's it. Bobby came on. Bobby, that's all we love Absolutely. to see. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you know Bobby's on, that's it. We, you know, we need to protect the lead. That's it. But you're right. I, Saliba goes nuts. Bobby comes on. Uh, the connection between the fans and the the, the, the players is, is there to see. And you know... It, and they played the tequila song at the end. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you noticed that, but they played it on the tannoy and everybody's singing and dancing, which is great fun. But um, I, again, I think whilst that is really fun, I think it, it just highlights like the strategy that they put in place to, again, be part of the fans. Like there's such yep. a unity exactly and it right. isn't just a, a feeling. It's like they are reacting to what the fans are giving and so look, the Lewis Dunford thing that goes viral within the community they play it before the game that becomes a staple Arteta's desperate for the fans to feel part of what's going on on the pitch um, you know the Saliba song they played after the they know like it's 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 something they're really happy to give back it's 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 not as clinical it's kind of a two-way thing and it's it's quite immeasurable but it's something that they're they're, they're really clearly working on as a strategy and they're, they're vocalised that they're trying to work on as a strategy so um, yeah and it's I tell you what, if Saliba doesn't feel at home yet, like I don't know what's going to make him sign that contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. I mean, uh, you're probably one of the most loved Arsenal players right now, I would say. And you're only going to be more loved the more times you celebrate like that, the more times you put in those challenges. And rightly so, his performances have been fantastic. Yeah. And his unity within the group, I think his relationship with Gabriel is great. And then with uh, Ben White. And then as his English improves, it's already at a, at a decent level at the moment. I've watched some of his interviews. But as his English improves as well, he will just be able to better express himself and better connect with the with the fans as well and, and make himself known and prove himself in that sense within this Arsenal squad. And I can't wait for, for more celebrations like that. And I saw a comparison between Saliba's sort of face and when Thierry Henry scored again uh, against against Leeds when, when he came back from, from New York Red Bulls. Oh, yeah. And it was sort of exactly the same kind of pose. I think having those comparisons yeah. and just having those kind of links between different areas of the club just makes you feel more part of it and more integrated. And I think that's just fantastic. And now you've got your own song. So what more do you want? I know, right? Love it. And um, it's such a fun song. And it's just one that just keeps rolling. It's one of those that you... Once you start, the crowd can't stop because it's always the Saliba bit that just picks up and everyone goes, Saliba! Even if you're bored of it by the end of the do-do-do's, you're in by the next time someone shouts Saliba and you're off again and it's it's difficult to stop and it's funny and it's so refreshing to hear like just a set of songs that isn't Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal and um, with the greatest team ever. You know, it's, it's, and again, connection, fans, performance, optimism, youth in the uh, stands. Um, There's there's all of these factors that come into play and um, yeah, again, cause for celebration, dare I say. Dare you say it, (laughs) dare you suggest that, you know, absolutely ridiculous suggestion. Uh, For me as well, I would love to see, you know, if celebrating is allowed ever again. Uh, some drums brought mm. into the stadium. I think that would be seriously cool. And we just hire someone with absolute iron forearms that just plays the drums the whole time. And I think we'll be able to lead drums. Yeah. And I think that'll create even more of an atmosphere. Because I think that's something that all these kinds of songs contribute to, is that we get to a stadium which mm. is not nice to play at. And I think the Emirates is, is definitely on the way to, to being that kind of a venue. 
I have wondered that. Like, what's the legality or the rules behind that? Because there are clubs that do it. Yeah, Crystal Palace And does um, it. I, I've always thought, yeah, it's great. I think it's a really good tool. <laughs> um, but, you know, we've, we've got people like the Ashburton and Nami coming in who are doing absolute wonders for, for the club. Um, and, uh, you know, keep, keep getting the message out about those guys. I think any kind of support that, that they can give for the, the, uh, the atmosphere and, and, and anything contributing to, towards that is, is excellent. So fair play to them. Um, so anything else to say about the game specifically? I mean, um, no, just, just good things, really, it seems mm-hmm. like. I mean, I, I'm trying to think. Um, we've got a few questions, so I guess we can go into that in a bit more detail. But, but if not, uh, we can go into to our man of the match and dick of the day. Yeah, I think that, that sounds great to me. So, Toby, you lead on that. Oh, I don't get to do that normally. So, yeah, yeah thanks. That's that's what an honour. Yeah. What an honour. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid the obvious and I'm going to give my man of the match to Ben White. I think um, another solid performance at a position that he hasn't played too often for Arsenal. I think he has been in, just impeccably consistent. I think he can get out of jail very quickly. He's good on the ball. He plays the inverted role well. I think he links up on the right very well with Saka. He enables uh, Odegaard to get further up the pitch, and I think he's actually one of the foundational reasons why Odegaard is allowing to perform better. And um, I think it's excellent. You know, we forget that actually Cedric was the person who played the most amount of games last season at that position. So it's a huge upgrade, and um, having Takahiro Tomiyasu back in the fold as well is, is is hugely exciting. And having Zinchenko and Tierney on one side, and and uh, Ben White and Takahiro Tomiyasu on the other, is just an absolute treat and you know we should be uh, delighted that we've got such good quality players in depth so so I'm going to go Ben White because I think he deserves it Awesome and I think that's a very respectable choice and and for me I think I'll go Granit Xhaka and I think not only this game but mm. recent games as well he's been phenomenal and I think he's really really found himself in this more advanced role I think he's taken the most touches in the opposition box that he's ever done in his Arsenal career if I'm not mistaken and he's getting mm. I think he's got um, was it one goal, two assists, or has he scored more? I can't remember. Um, sorry, Jacka. Uh, one goal. Yeah, that sounds right. Right. I'm just trying to think. So he got two goals. No, he got the assist. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I That's think right. he's now equaled his season record for Arsenal in the first four games of this season, which I think oh, is, I love that. is phenomenal. And. I think he's been fantastic. I think he's rebuilt the his relationship with the fans like an absolute champion. And we, I think we're finally seeing the player that we, we bought in the first place and are, are reaping the, the benefits as a result. Yeah, no, fair play, fair play. Just as we are saying this, I'm reading a... Thierry Henry and Cesc Fabregas are now stakeholders and shareholders in Italian side Como. What yeah, so Fabregas now... Say, oh, that's a premium place to live. That's a, yeah, yeah, I saw that. God, what place? What's their stadium? Oh my god! I mean, that's stunning, I isn't it? Okay. You want to live there? Oh, my, I don't know if you just... Oh, what, should we go and play for Como? I would love works, to go it? play for Como. I, I'll happily leave my life here and go play. Did Jack Wilshere play for them? I'm just he seeing for, his future. For he, tra- he trained with trained them. With them, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll tell you what. There's worse places to live. Well, Fabregas has gone from London to Monaco, Barcelona. Homo, not bad. Not bad, you know, living the high life. Uh, not a bad. Time. He's got the number four mm. shirt as well, so can't complain. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. God loves it. Okay, um, all right, who's your dick of the day then? Oh, good question. Um, 
because I watched the game only only afterwards, I'm not sure how many moments within the game I can actually <laughs> select. But there is there's BN Sport presenter who mm. might be your dick of the day as well. But I can't remember his yes. name. But his comments Andy about Gray and Richard Keys. That's it. So I'll pick one of them as yeah. my dick of the day. I'll pick Andy Gray as my dick of the day, and then you can pick the other one. And I just felt their comments. Well, Richard Keys was leading it. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I just felt their comments were, were uncalled for and uh, very Arsenal targeted and just a bit laughable, but we're not allowed to do that because not allowed. So, Not allowed to, no. not allowed to. No, but it's weird, like, there was none of this around. You remember Spurs drew mm. at Chelsea mm-hmm. and they they had Batsuma, like, cheering the crowd, like, as if, like, they just won a trophy. And um, I actually saw a lot of Arsenal fans going, God, it's just a draw. But I was like... They've just got a last-minute winner. You know, I hate Spurs for all my life, but <laughs> they've just got a last-minute winner against a top-four side. Yeah. Um, I come back from one, come back from a goal twice, like you know, from being down twice, and um, fair play to them. Like, yeah. You know, brilliant. That's like, but there was none of this discourse, and rightly so. There shouldn't have been because you know I think they, they came back and it was a really, really big moment, and um, you should celebrate every little win, even if it's a draw. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, coming back from two. Twice against a team like Chelsea is really exciting, and uh, sure, it's just a point, but you know, brilliant. Um, obviously, I wish they hadn't, but uh, yeah, no. And uh, look, uh, just to add to that, I think my dick of the day would be um, Josh Simon Jordan on Talksport. He, he did the same thing. Um, he just basically he didn't do it just in the moment. He had time to think about it and then do it again on Talksport, and it's just mm-hmm. it's you know. Um, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, I, I was going to give a kind of dick of the data. I was thinking some kind of like a Mitrovic because he. <laughs> it's, I shouldn't really do it for footballers, but like there was a spice. But actually, I think I really like the challenge of him trying to get in our heads, mm-hmm. and because previously we'd have buckled against a player like that, and I think just the fact that we rose to it is is, is, is great. And um, no, really, really, really good. So uh, let's um, leave this side of things, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Uh, for some questions. Wait, oh, no, it didn't work. I was going to try something. Wait, I've got a transition thing, guys, which is really exciting. I'll do it now. You ready? You ready? There you go. That's a, that's our transition music. So uh, through the medium and magic of radio, uh, we have just transitioned into the second part. Yeah, we're now both wearing completely, completely different clothes. And yeah, we're now completely no. different stages of our lives and ready to do questions. Yes. Yes. Um, so just wait until you make your next joke, and we'll uh, we'll just. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We'll get on with the podcast. It's, it's too exciting. I, I didn't actually realise that we could do all this stuff. I mean, talking. you know, this this whole um, calibrating thing that we're doing is is very very weird. So yeah. Yeah. It's too much. It's too much. Um, let's uh, let's go for it then. Let's find some 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 things. I didn't send you them, did I? Actually, so I've got. Oh, you've got access to them on on, on Instagram, actually. Mm-hmm. Have you? So um, let's do it on there. So um, I thought this is quite an interesting one. Um, there's obviously a lot of questions around signings, and we'll get onto that. But I'd like to go into sort of a bit more wider thinking ones first, and, and then we can focus and laser down a bit. But some there's a really interesting question saying, Ziri. Um, Forgive me, this is kind of an Instagram handle name, so this is quite difficult to say. So it's zero J, mm-hmm. so it's sort of spelled Z H I R O H J. As I has social media made football football more hostile in terms of rivals talking about each other, etc. 
It's a good question, and I think social media is a fantastic thing, but also has its drawbacks. And I think the ability mm. to be able to cross pollinate in terms of what's said and how quickly that reaches players and how quickly that is able to be seen by players and how many players is also a bit of a, a drawback on that. And I think social media definitely has. And I think social media, especially with looking at other training videos and all this kind of a thing, has made clubs be very careful about what kind of content they put out, but also has mm. amplified the effect of fan pages and different things, being able to tag players and potentially making them see their stories or their posts and chat about them and managers being able to to know that their message will be broadcasted to whatever kind of opposition, just beyond the the newspapers and um, popular media that way. So I think to answer your question is is uh, is yes. I think it's definitely exacerbated that and. I think the main way to see that is how quickly news can reach players and how easily it is to just tag someone in an Instagram post or a tweet and be able to, to talk about opposition that way. And in terms of clubs as well, are able to, to tweet and to have these kinds of almost sometimes jokey tweets about certain clubs and are able to interact in a more rapid and less filtered kind of way of speaking as a result as well. Yeah. It's 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 got a couple of it's definitely got a couple of sides to this. Uh, I think it's made opinions more extreme and more accessible. Um, it's on the positive side really allowed us from what, everything we've talked about there um, in terms of getting the fans closer to the players. Pretty much all of the tools that we've mentioned have been social media um, utilized. So even everything from the behind the scenes camera on YouTube, you know, making sure that we can actually have an understanding of what's been going on, a bit of personality. Um, the Amazon documentary uh, kind of goes into that media element, the accessible area side of things gets us into the personalities and understanding and humanizing the people, mm -hmm. realizing that these messages on social media do go through to them. The emergence of Lewis Dunford and that song was social media. Um, the uh, tequila song, I think, again, was accentuated on social media. I know it started in the stands at Bournemouth, but I think the fact that it was shared so much, it was talked about, um, and it was enjoyed by the whole fan base, not just people at the stadium, I think was was great. Um, so I think it's really helped bring us close together, but I can't help but feel that's because we're winning as well. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't too long ago where you have certain media outlets using social media and causing division at the club, and that goes between different other areas as well and like um, different fan bases. And I think there is a very strong hate element to the use of something like Twitter, Instagram, right? Um, and that can cause some seriously dark um, abuse, right? And it's, it's, it, it's terrible. So you kind of have the really positive effects and, and, and the really negative effects. But the one thing I would say is the, 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 the vibe or the kind of discussions on Twitter don't always match up to the in-stadium experience. So whilst I think there's hostility online, it doesn't always translate to the stadium. You know, last season was a really good example of that. I remember being a little bit nervous about going to games because reading online, you think the whole the world is ending with Arsenal fans and stuff like that. But actually, you get to the stadium and it's buzzing. Last season was excellent and seems to have gone up a notch this season, which didn't think could. So... Um, so I think they're two separate worlds and we should treat them like it. Yeah, um, And there are good things and bad things. And I think it's what mm. we heard in our 
uh, exclusive interview with Jen Beattie as well, is that after her FA yeah. final in December against Chelsea, she got a lot of online abuse, which she described as a, a turning point for her. But whereas in the stadium, I was at the game, after the game, although we were disappointed, the Arsenal players came over, we applauded them, and we knew that they put all their all in, and it just hadn't gone to plan. So despite all the abuse online in that world, the in-stadium sentiment was that, you know what, it's unfortunate, but we applaud the players for giving their absolute all, and that's all that we can ask for. So as you say, there are two separate yeah. worlds, and I think we should treat them like that as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely so. Um yeah, I think that's probably all of that, isn't it? I think you could actually probably do a whole podcast on that. It's a, it's a really interesting topic, and I'd like to go into it a little bit more because there are such great benefits of it and, and such um, such sort of evil sides of it as well. And um, yeah, very interesting. Um, you got another question? I've got one here. If you if you haven't got one ready to go, yeah, so I've got one here. Um, go for it. It was an interesting one because I think we've seen this more and more now. Is from Lee underscore Bond underscore the only one. Uh, most passionate player mm-hmm. at Arsenal currently. What are your thoughts? Yes, I'm looking at that as well. Um, it's interesting because also Oli Campbell-Roger, um, who obviously we know very well, mm-hmm. has, has asked Sinchenko the type of passion that we've been missing from the players who are not playing. And it is interesting. It's players who who are displaying this, who um, who are new to the club. Mm-hmm. Um, Zinchenko, I don't, <laughs> as an injured player, like how much he, he almost was on the side of the pitch as much as Arteta, and he got involved in the bundle at the end. It's like, mate, you're supposed to be injured. I think security tried to stop him once because they thought he was an intruder because he wasn't obviously an Arsenal um, full kit, um, warming up or otherwise. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think these are the kind of players that we need, and I think passion isn't um, is, is shown a few ways, and uh, particularly from those individuals they clearly come from a winning background and they fight for every inch and that's something i kind of didn't realize that like someone like gabriel gabriel is nasty <laughs> he is a feisty little like so-and-so and um Let you know he's there. i think he, he he has to win his duels his duel he has to win his duels and um, <laughs> as we hear from arteta all the yeah. time and then he's it's it is nice and i think it's elevating everybody else thank you very much um uh it's 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 breeding out across the team. But I think Erdegaard is a bit quieter, but tends to show a lot of passion on the pitch as well. And it's, I don't know, it's how you define passion where you place it. I mean, I'd have to say Gabriel Jesus, I think, mm-hmm. from a pure style of play. Um, uh, I mean, Arteta's up there as well, but Zinchenko is, is up there as well. It's crazy saying about new players, but it is raising the level. So, um, I appreciate I'll probably get about three answers there. But what, what do you think? Is there anyone do you think I'm missing? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say Arteta's up there for me, um, having you know watched the documentary as well. And, and as you say, you have mm. to win your duels. If I do not win my duel, duels. Yeah. So I think yes. uh, it's... My ass. My ass is in the duel. Yeah. Oh, that's the rhythm. <laughs> my ass rhythm. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. You know, exactly right. I mean, you should, be, you should get into yeah. some um, sort of interpretation work. And I think otherwise, um, within the squad, Ben White, I think, is also great. I think Holdini is another fantastic example. And I'm mainly thinking of that when we, they celebrated with, actually, funny enough, Bernd Leno after the uh, Aston Villa win last season. And I think that was great passion show yeah. as well. 
and and otherwise Kieran Tierney I think is someone that we we need to mention as well you know he's pure passion he screams shouts puts his body about slaps the badge whatever you want and so much so he's so passionate that he he forgets how to celebrate which which is a good thing because you're not allowed to do that as we have established but obviously yeah obviously. when he scores he doesn't really know what to do with himself so I think all that kind of unbridled <laughs> passion just comes out in, in whatever his his body decides to do so I think Kieran Tierney is up there yeah. I think Mikel Arteta is a very very important candidate to consider yeah definitely and um, it's, it is interesting I think Tierney's one of those passionate players that he's quite passionate when we're losing as well like he's the one that he wants to he's like almost a Steven Gerrard level of come on let's he uses his physical tackles to, to G up the crowd and stuff. So there are some different levels. With, um, it is interesting. Obviously, Ramsdale does it quite well mm. as well. You know, he jeers up the crowd. and Knee slides and everything. We're certainly building up. a Yeah, yeah, knee slides is it. And it's all about, uh, yeah, there's like certainly an element of, of um, wearing your heart on your sleeve that I think we've, we're building in a squad, which, which again is really interesting. And it's something they actually highlighted as a reason why they signed him. Um, his mentality and uh, his, his his kind of aura in the dressing room as well. So, I um, mean, the other side of that is as well. We're talking about Zinchenko and um, mentioned Tierney is so. Huli um, Rex uh, says, "Are we at risk of losing Tierney if he becomes displaced as first choice left?" It's a good question, and whenever a player sees that he's not going to be able to play as much, then there's always going to be that, however big or however small, going to be that part of him that says, "Ooh." I'm thinking about my career now. How am I going to change the situation? And I think Tierney mm. definitely has a prominent role within the Arsenal squad. And I think Oteta's taken this general approach with everyone. And it's a good one to take in that to have a good squad, you need squad depth and you need players to be pushing each other to be better. And we're going to have a lot of mm. games this season and a lot of different games as well that's going to require different qualities. There are going to be games where Zinchenko is not going to be the right left back to to choose it's not going to be the correct option it's not going to give us what we need and we need mm. those Kieran Tierney overlapping runs and if you take Tierney out and you've got Nuno Tavares on loan as well then Zinchenko only become, becomes the only option and I think for Kieran having watched his interviews having watched him in the documentary I think he is of the opinion that he gets down he works hard and he puts football first and if he's out the team I think regaining that position is only going to work in his favour in terms of working hard in terms of doing his thing and showing what he can offer. And I think that's exactly what he'll do. So I don't think it's too much of a worry that we'll lose him because I think he is greatly valued. And I think we're taking mm. a very, very promising offer to prize him away from Arsenal. But I think now having that competition means that Tierney has even more motivation than he already had, which was a lot, to get better, to push Zinchenko and to show what he can offer. Yeah, I, I must say, I um, now that we are moving on as a squad, I think there's going to be less times where his style is the one we need and choose. Um, to, to, to be totally honest, and I still think he's absolutely incredible. I fear in the next year or so, next two seasons, I think he'll probably go, um, would be my opinion. Um, I think he'll be a top, top, top class left back for somebody who maybe plays... A slightly different system um, I, you know I, I think I think he's definitely a starter somewhere it's quite hard to have him as a backup and I don't think he'll go this window uh, but uh, I do think long term that will be the case and I think the other thing is his um, his injury record right you know it's it's hard to, to, to keep a player that long when 
for over 50% of the time he's been here, he's been injured. Um, and, you know, there does have to come a point where you do make a decision on that basis alone. You know, you can't have somebody who's available for, for, for the not too much at that time. And we love the guy. He's passionate and he's great. Um, but just a combination of those factors makes me think that I think we'll probably look to to make a, a sale in the next year or so. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, he's a, he, he was our best player a year and a half ago. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's very interesting. Um, so have you got another question? Yeah, I do. So hopefully I'll be able to find it again now. So it's from Ojoga Bonito. And he was talking about, if I can just grab it again. Mm. Um, Is it the no news on Bellerin and Ainsley Met in Niles one? That's the one, yeah. And the transfer window is almost closed, so do we reintegrate, release, or hold? Good question. It's hard because yeah, I mean, there's no news in it, but my my imagine my I imagine they've they've got offers, and it's just they're trying to find the best offer. Um, so I can imagine what they're trying to do uh, is actually go through these um, and get them done. I think if I had a choice to be able to do any of those. Um, I think they'd probably uh, sell both of them. Um, it sounds like Bellerin, there are a couple of options. I know he's desperate to get to Betis. I'm not sure that's going to happen. There are a couple of options in Spain. Um, I think he's taking a big pay cut. I don't think, you know, he hasn't been involved at all. Neither of them have been involved in the squads. Um, I think, you know, they are primed and ready to go. So if we can, that would also be good. So just for the benefit uh, of you guys, the listeners, um, Connor has just dropped out. I can imagine his his phone has run out of battery or something, but he is now back. So it's all good, but I was just finishing off that question. So don't worry. Um, what do you, yeah, Connor, what do you think? Do you think, um, they will go at the end of the season? It sounds like there are options. I think it's one of those that will just be running down to the end of the, end of the transfer window. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think... You're on mute, I think, <laughs> or something. Um, but well, whilst Connor sorts out his, um, his, uh, microphone, what I'll do is I will, uh, go on to another question. We can do signings as well. So do you think the TDM Lamb uh, says, what should Edu prioritise, a winger or midfielder? Um, I'm going to throw that over to you again, Connor, just in case. Yeah, can you hear me? Ah, there we go. We're back in the game. Technology's failed me that last little bit, but no, good to be back. And yeah, I think from the rumours, it seems like we're going for a winger. So David Ornstein reported earlier on that it was Neto, it was top priority, but the deal is looking unlikely now, unfortunately. And I think we were going for that because I think Arteta's also made comments where we are a little bit short in the squad now that Pepe's gone on loan, which I think was a, a good move. And as a result, mm. I think we're looking at that at that winger position more so than a midfielder. I would find that perhaps a midfielder coming in would then accelerate Ainsley Maitland-Niles going. I think Bellerin just needs to effectively terminate his contract mutually and then yeah. he'll be able to move to Spain, which I think makes it a bit easier for Spanish clubs to sign him if he's able to be just a free agent. I think that's where he wants to go. He wants to go back to Betis, I'm pretty sure. And I think as a result, that'll sort itself out. But if we bring in a midfielder, then perhaps we'll be more willing to let Ainsley Metinald go. I think I heard on Sky that there are offers from Bournemouth and Southampton, so he's definitely not short of options. And then otherwise, I think a winger is what we're looking at. I would be surprised how I would put it if we are able to get yeah. a winger uh, before the end of the window but if we do not then we'll have to look at strengthening in, in January as well but we shall see I'm not sure what's happened with Reese uh, Nelson recently if mm. that would be an option as well but perhaps you'll be able to 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I really don't know. They see that the whole thing just seems to have gone really quiet. And I think because we're desperate to um, to sign a winger and a, and a midfielder, I think you know, I think I guess the the outgoings are going on in the background as well. Really hard to know. To to, to be totally honest, I know. I think Nelson's mm-hmm. injured. Um, he might have just come back to training. I'm just looking now. Yeah, he has. So I don't know. But <coughs> in terms of priorities, I think it's got to be a winger. Um, Look, I'd love both. I think we, we are quite desperate for both. I think um, if party's out, it's quite clear. The only one we trust really at the moment and Lokonga's time will tum- come as he gets into the Europa League and the other, the other. But uh, at the moment, it's looking a little bit rigid if we lose party. Um, so, which is something that, you know, he, he tends to be quite injured. So I think that's, that is really important. But as a winger, mate, Saka, tired mm-hmm. <laughs> how many times we said it i read the other day saka has played more minutes under the age of 21 than michael owen wow. did at the age of 21 which is terrifying mm-hmm. um and you can see like you know he gets past players so well and you know i think switching wings was a really good option this weekend just to make sure that he had a different problem to solve the second half of the, of the second half um but if saka isn't firing we just need somebody else who could come in and make an immediate impact we've got marquinhos uh, who again will, will, I think, will learn a bit more about in the Europa League. We can't just try in Premier League, but we need somebody ready to be able to go on, score the goals. We've got that uh, Shakhtar Donetsk player looking at Pedro Neto, is looking a bit more unlikely, or at least would be very expensive. I think we really need to prioritise that backup mm-hmm. Saka, um, or even sharing the Saka role. Um, I, I really think we need to prioritise that. Makes sense to me. Nice. Uh, should we do one yep. more? Just over the hour mark. Um, do, 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 do. So looking at the next couple of weeks then. So Charlie Rugg7 says, do you think we can win away at Old Trafford finally? And somebody else has asked about Villa, and I feel really bad now because I can't find it, so I can't shout them out. But somebody did. You just have to trust me on that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> a, lot of, lot, a lot of questions this week. Most people must be hugely engaged. Um, so let's look at the next two games. What do you think we'll get out of it? Yeah, I... I don't see there's you know any reason why we shouldn't believe we can come away with points at Old Trafford. I think that would be a, a fantastic result and a fantastic squad as well. And I don't see why not. I don't see why we shouldn't be optimistic, why we shouldn't be determined to, to try to get those three points. And we're on the best run we possibly could have been at this stage to to get to that game now. So I think we're in good stead to, to give it our all. And mm-hmm. I think three points are definitely realistic there. And, you know, United have made somewhat of a comeback against uh, in their season and, and now against Liverpool. So I have to be on mm-hmm. higher confidence. But I think we're also able to to play that game as well. And I think we're able to unsettle a very United squad. And I think that'll be a, a fantastic, fantastic game. And I think against Villa as well, mm-hmm. they're also in a bit of disarray. They ha- I think that's they've just suffered their ninth defeat in 15 games. So... Also yeah. in a good space there, but again, anything could turn quickly. And how clinical we are, and how few chances we allow from our own mistakes or own possession losses to the opposition will be key in both of these games. But I think six points is definitely realistic. Um, in terms of a loss, it could be one of those where we just get an unlucky break or we're just not up to it for whatever reason. But I think it all. Actually, yeah. we're always G'd up for it. And there's so much history. I'm reading Arsene Wenger's autobiography at the moment, My Life in Red and White, and reading the history about Man United and Arsenal and Old Trafford in particular is definitely something that will G up the players. It'll G up Arteta mm-hmm. that we saw in 
um, in the documentary as well, and with stadiums like Anfield as well. There's always this kind of special atmosphere that it has with Arsenal, and I think that'll definitely pu- push us forward and then on to Villa as well. Yeah, um, obviously, <laughs> four wins in a row, it's it's hard not to be confident. Um, I, I don't think this is going to last for that much longer. I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll stumble. I think we'll get four points out of the next two games, which is fine um, and, and great. Uh, I think we will, I don't know which one we'll draw and which one we'll, we'll win, but I, I think four points is, is a realistic expectation. I think we could win both. I, I think we, I also think we're, we're quite good at, uh, going on good runs and then allowing teams who are on terrible runs to, to use Arsenal as a method of, mm. of geeing themselves back up. So that could always happen. But um, I'd be more confident naturally being at home on a night time against Aston Villa. Um, the momentum going forward into it, uh, I think the players will have back. It looks like Zinchenko is just a precaution. And by the way, he was running up and down the touchline, <laughs> not playing. I think he probably could play. Um, so, so, so that fills me with confidence. Uh, Old Trafford, mate, hard place to go. Never good. We've only won there once in the last what fifteen mm-hmm. years. Um, they're not having the best time moment. They have just got two wins: one against Liverpool. I think Old Trafford is a hard place to go. It's going to be raucous, and I think it's another test. So, so let's let's have it. We've got enough of a cushion from the games. We should be winning. So, um, it would be quite nice to to shut some of the people up saying we've only played mm-hmm. X. And only played wide, so I think that's a, it's a perfect place to do it. And um, shutting up Steven Gerrard and then going to Man United and, and, and shutting up Ronaldo would be quite be lovely. Let's um, let's enjoy it. Well, look, um, everybody, have a great week. I don't think we're going to be speaking until the next time uh, we'll, we'll have played those both those games. So let's hope coming outside with with at least six points. Uh, I don't know how it would be any more, but let's let's hope for it. Um, Connor, thanks so much for coming My on. My pleasure. Um, do we want to include a women's roundup as well, quickly? Yeah, let's do it. Sorry, I wasn't sure if we were doing that this week. I know they haven't quite started, but uh, go for it, mate. Yeah, absolutely. What's um, what's been cooking? Yeah, so as um, many people I'm sure will know, the WSL season hasn't quite started yet. So that'll be 11th of September against away against Man City, which is one of the toughest fixtures that that come along. Last season, it was home against Chelsea at the Emirates, which was a fantastic game. 3-2 win. I was there. And what a what a celebration and, and what a beautiful football game as well. But away at Man City is going to be tough. It's going to be seriously, seriously tough. So we have to be prepared for that. We have to be realistic with that. And, um, you know, Man City, I think, have signed, you know, half the players under the sun this season because they were very short last season. So it'll be an interesting test to see how that squad has gelled and to see how our squad, which is not signed too many, but is signed signings that are going to make an immediate impact. And I put it in my article uh, article about the window so far that while the signings have been few, they will be mighty in effect. And uh, Jonas Eidevel in a recent Q&A was saying how signings are important. And, you know, maybe uh, the question was about how other teams will be able to better plan against Arsenal because the players are the same and as a result become more predictable. But he said that's not the only important mm. thing in football in the sense that the most important thing is the relationships that you have on the pitch. And these players played with each other now for a good amount of time and have allowed the new signings to come in and gel. Uh, one of the new signings, Lena Hurtig, has uh, played with Frida Manum and Stina Blackstenius previously in Sweden. And... Um, Kaelin Marquise is another signing that won't probably be playing on that match day, but 
is known to Arsenal and has been known to Arsenal for for a long time and um, has is now the third American to play for Arsenal Women's, which is fantastic. So she'll be she'll be raring to go as well. So I think having that integration and doing that in a training camp that they did in at Adidas HQ uh, just about a week or two ago is is fantastic. So I think there's all the reason to be confident for the game and it's what we saw in our interview with Jen Beattie as well is that yeah absolutely. very very confident of the squad most talented squad she's ever played in so I think there's a lot to to look forward to the signings are done I'd be surprised if we make another signing before the end of the window but what we did do was we knew our targets and we brought in some backroom staff as well so Jonas Adeval revealed in that Q&A that there's a new head first team uh, analysis now person as well which is fantastic. And then there's also another um, a, another personnel, which I can't remember the name of, but was touted as the signing of the season rather than a player. So getting that in okay. and having that backroom staff is being uh, touted as something that is seriously, seriously considerable and fantastic. So Arsenal women have uh, a lot to look forward to. We as Arsenal fans have a lot to look forward to with the team. And especially with a... Uh, visit to to the Emirates for the North London Derby on Saturday 24th, which is promising to be a fantastic game. Over 35,000 tickets sold now, which is more than than the last time we had uh, at the Emirates. All the Champions League games will be there as well. So not tuned into the women's team at the moment. This is a fantastic time to join in and really get behind what could potentially be a very, very successful season for the girls. Yeah, no, massively. And it's uh, hugely exciting. I'd, I'd really recommend anybody uh, who hasn't listened to it yet, listen to the Gen Beatty interview. It's so fascinating. I mean, the the things that we touched on about the excitement of this team they've got, the connection, the players uh, that have with each other, the bonds that they've got on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, it's a really special time to be an Arsenal women's player. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's amazingly exciting. I thought one of the things that was great, that was so exciting to listen to was just the path of what it's like to become a professional footballer and you know, how that reflects to, to current professional footballs that are growing up in, in, in a hugely growing game. And, um, you know, it's it's certainly great to see. And, uh, yeah, it was an absolute honour to, to have Jen on. So, so yeah, absolutely um, hugely exciting. Mm-hmm. So so where, where did that coach come from, um, yeah. Connor? Yeah, I'm just trying to think. It's, it's really exciting. Yeah, it is a really Go good on. question. I don't know much about it because I just heard it in the Q&A. But um, it's definitely outside of the club, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it was promoted. Yeah. So they've just brought in two external people to come in and now they've nice. got yeah, the lead first team and uh, analysts so looking at the first team and uh, seeing how that goes. And then I can't remember the role of the other person now, but they, they've they been very highly lapped up, especially by um, Jonas Eideville. So there's a lot to look forward to in that sense. And, you know, making the backroom staff that much bigger, that much more experienced and that much more involved in, in top quality content and top quality analysis. So I think as well of the fact that we've focused on the players, we've also invested in making the current players we have even better, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And it's hugely exciting for both the men's and women's this season. So, um, well, look, thanks so much for helping us round that up. Um, yeah, so it's a really exciting time. And, you know, people should, should stay tuned on our Instagram because we'll certainly be promoting and, um, reporting on a lot of the women's side of things as well, which we've been doing too. So, Connor, thanks so much. Um, and thanks for coming on. And um, glad to see you back alive and well from Indonesia. Uh, all well well rested and um, you've been under the sea 
looking at various different sharks diving uh, very comfortably. So I'm, I'm happy you pretend safe. Uh, thank you so much, Toby. An absolute pleasure to be back and I look forward to the next one already. Sounds good. All righty. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we've got two big games coming up next. Six points from both of them and a 6-0 win away from Old Trafford, I'm sure. Take care, everyone, and we'll speak soon. Mm-hmm.